Welcome to Everyday Theology, a podcast designed to equip and encourage the local church as we follow Jesus together. I'm Pastor Josh, the lead pastor of Vertical Church, and I'm here today with uh, my two amigos, Dr. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Joseph Hall and Dr. Micah Hefner. Don't give me credit for all that. Cool. <laughs> and today, boys, we're going to be talking about the good book, a.k.a. the Bible. Mm. And uh, at Vertical, we believe it's more than just good, uh, that it's entirely unique and stands out from all other books. And so what is it about the Bible that makes it so unique? Yeah, uh, it is the Word of God. So that is different than any other book. Boom. That's when you need the sound effect where it's like, I could do that. It is the Word. I'm not going to because I know you already did that. You sort of went off on the the sound effects when I was gone. So. And I just can't wait till he goes on sabbatical and I have the controls again. <laughs> just all the hand horns. Yes. Yeah. This can improve our podcast yeah. significantly for sure. <laughs> and we say that, we mean it doesn't just contain the words of God, um, but that it is the very word of, of God. So why, why would we think that is the case? I mean, a lot of you know books might make that same claim. Some rando could just say, this is the word of the Lord. So why, why do we think that the Bible is in fact the word of God? Yeah, so I think we would primarily look to its perfection, uh, both in like the the perfection of its doctrine, like the the perfect beauty with which it it portrays who God is and, and who we are, and also with the the perfect internal unity of all of its parts, uh, that it is whole and complete, um, and that there is a a self authenticating power there that we see in its ability to convert sinners to instruct us in righteousness. Uh, and to free us from our sins. So there's there's uh, not just that we point to other things, but we point to the scripture itself for why we know it to be the word of God. Yeah, you mentioned several things there. I want to unpack some of those a little bit. So, well, of course, uh, I'll say, preface it by saying the Bible does make the claim that it is the word of God. So it's not something we're just like, we really like it so much we think it is perhaps divine, but it does make the claim over and over again that it is in fact the word of God, uh, both in Old and, and New Testament. Um, Joe, you want to read Second Timothy 3? Yeah. That passage? Yeah, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we get to kind of both of what the Word of God is and some of its purpose there. Uh, interestingly, the word that he uses there is theonoustos, which is what you know, scholars call a hapax legomenon or something. Essentially, it's a word he made up, mm. um, which is pretty cool because I make up words all the time. Joe gives me <laughs> flack about it. But it's very apostle-like, I just want to say, mm. to just combine words, come up with your own words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a, a combination of theos, God, and noustos, which comes from the Greek word pneuma, spirit. So it's the idea that it's God-breathed, right? It's actually the word of God it, itself. Um, and obviously he didn't sit down and, you know, uh, write, write a book and then just like drop it from the heavens. And so how did, how did the divine word of God get, get to us through his people, right? So his spirit works through prophets, particularly in the old Testament, uh, and then through the apostles in the new Testament to, to write the word that he wanted to be delivered to his church. 
Yeah, the way Peter, I love the way he describes it is like being carried along by the Holy Spirit. They didn't just write what they wanted down, uh, mm-hmm. but they wrote the very words that he intended them to write down while retaining their own style, voice, and perspective, uh, which makes the Bible unique. I think that's hard for people to reconcile. People are like, mm-hmm. wait, if it was written by human authors, there's sort of a dual authorship here. How does it not have error? And the answer is because God was, you know, uh, carrying them along. He mm-hmm. was doing work in them to ensure that what was written down was the very words that that he wanted. And we have... A lot of evidence to, I think, before us that would make us want to believe that this claim is is true. You mentioned uh, uh, quite a, a slew of them there yeah. in a, a rapid fire fashion. <laughs> uh, when you talk about like sort of the unity of its parts or the textual consistency, what, what do you mean by that? Like unpack that for somebody else. Yeah, so we would mean that like internally that the Bible is consistent, that it is not uh, saying or advocating one thing in one place and then contradicting itself in another um, and also that everything in it is commending the rest of Scripture. So not not simply that it, it just doesn't contradict itself, right? But it also is advancing the same argument everywhere. It's it's making the same truth claims throughout. Um, and so that it's all building upon itself in a way that is way too complex and beautiful for, for a human to have written it. Yeah. Especially over thousands of years. Like, yeah. you just can't do that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's totally, it's mind-blowing, if, like, if you think about it. Um, it's like, it's hard to argue that it couldn't have been accomplished through divine power of some kind. Because it was, you know, there's 40-plus authors. And they're not just like, they were all kings of this land. They were like kings, peasants, fishermen, poets, scholars, all different types of people. And it's written in various genres, history, letter, songs, on three different continents, Asia, Africa, Europe, in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, over the course of 1,500 years. And they had no way to communicate with you. Like, this before the internet. This before, like, you could get on FaceTime and, like, let's work together and collaborate here. Uh, and all 66 books tell one unified story of redemption mm-hmm. without contradicting itself. Like, that is, that is impossible. That is divine, um, for sure. Yeah. And it's not just that, like the the consistency of the message that it's saying, but like even all the way down to the details of historical accuracy and archaeological mm-hmm. evidence, like you could point to, um, that the Bible is is perfect. Um, you mentioned that idea of being self attesting, like the Bible in itself is, is self attesting to its own truth. How how would you guys ex- explain that that part? So I think um, as as you read the Bible. Um, and you are uh, brought face to face with uh, truth claims of Christ, with uh, statements of the apostles about who Jesus is, with, with God revealing himself as you know, I, I am that I am. Um, there, there are things that you, you really can't argue with. Like it is authoritative. It's like it goes out and, and it's not that I'm saying like, oh, it's just, you know, it's such a good cohesive argument that you, you can't help but be persuaded by it. It's like, no, because these are the words of God, there's an inherent power, mm-hmm. right? That those who are enlightened by the Spirit see. Um, and those who, it's not to say that, oh, everyone who hears the Bible sees and receives it as, as authoritative. No, it's to say that all those who are enlightened by the Spirit see it that way. Because, you know, it, it's something that only those, right, who are, who are given eyes to see it can see. But it is powerful, and it's what God uses to convert sinners he uses his word to do that yeah i could testify that you know personally like that was part of my you know testimony in a very real sense um of how the how the lord used his word 
to cause new life in my life. Um, I was kind of having a crisis of faith. If you've, you've been around, you probably heard my story a little bit. Um, and considering whether I was going to walk away from the Christianity that I said I embraced anyways. And I decided to give the Bible a once over and uh, kind of put, it's you know, in hindsight, it was very arrogant. That I was going to put God in the judgment seat and 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 kind of go like you're saying, like, ah, let me see and evaluate and see if this is legit, and if not, then I'll walk away. And yet, God used His Word to just you know break my stubborn you know will and um, soften my heart and help me to see the beauty of Jesus in a powerful and very real way. Uh, which is why oftentimes when it comes to this discussion, I invite people to like taste and see, mm-hmm. you know, um, because like you know I, one of the illustrations I've used in the past is like I could try to convince you that. Uh, Krispy Kreme donuts are the best donut in the world. And I could point to, you know, data points and if they've done reviews and they have the highest ratings and like I point to all these things that prove that it is in fact the best donut in the world, or I could invite you to taste it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we want to do is invite people to taste and see, um, that the Lord is good and his word is good because it is an expression of, of who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing we, I don't know if you mentioned was prophetic evidence. I don't know what you do with that if the Bible isn't true. The Bible makes a lot of promises and prophecies about the future um, that that happened. Like that, right. there's still some things that we're still waiting to happen for sure. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that's already been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Like not, and not just like you know, there's the rise and fall of nations, like certain specific kingdoms, like hundreds of years before you know they ever came on the scene. Like mm-hmm. the, God was writing the story uh, and saying this is what's going to happen. Sure enough. It did, and then I think most, you know, explicitly the 300 plus, I guess, depends how you're counting prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything yeah. from things that he couldn't control, like his birth, <laughs> like yeah. what, ter- you know, things people did to him, um, to, you know, the, the actions and his life, death, and resurrection, like every bit of it um, yeah. is is foretold hundreds or if not thousands of years before he shows up on the scene, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Yeah. Another argument the I thought was, you know, doesn't get brought up a lot. I don't know if you guys remember that little book, Why Trust the Bible. Mm-hmm. I know you I know you've read it, Joe. Greg Gilbert. Yeah, Greg Gilbert. In that book, towards the end, uh, he's got a chapter heading that says, Take it on the word of a resurrected man. Mm-hmm. Um and and he kind of going back to that idea, if Jesus rose from the dead, and we go down that, you know, and if that's historical and verifiably true, um, if we can say that Jesus, in fact, ri- rose from the dead, um, and that proves that He is God, and He said that the Bible is the Word of God, then we should right. we should take it on, on His word. <laughs> like if yeah. God showed up uh, and proved that He was God by raising from the dead and said this this is in fact the Word of God, um, both in, in endorsing uh, the the Old Testament and authorizing the New Testament apostles to go and and write then. And we should we should take his word for it, yeah. which I think is a good is a good point. Yeah, yeah, because Jesus certainly views um, himself right as as uh, central to all of human history, but central to Scripture as well, right? Because when he's addressing the Pharisees, right, and he, he's talking about Moses, he's like Moses wrote about wrote about me, mm-hmm. right? And then and when he's when he's promising the Spirit to his to his disciples, he's actually a, a lot of what's in view is that that the spirit will bring back things to mind right that they will then teach and write and and, uh and write the new testament right so um jesus understands the significance of scripture and consistently advocates for the eternality of the word like Mm -hmm. the the word's not going away right 
This is why we shouldn't put G- pit Jesus against the Bible too, which is sometimes common. Where it's like, I'm just a Jesus guy. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, read letters. Well, we're, Jesus we're, was, was like, a Bible guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He would argue the same way that we did. Like if you ever listen to his arguments, he's right. like constantly pointing back mm-hmm. to the scriptures and going, this is what, how I'm explaining myself here. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about the Bible, talking about kind of where it came from and, and why it's um, so important to us. But what are, what exactly are we talking like? What is the scope of the Bible? What books are we referring to when when we speak about the Bible? Yeah, you've got the Old and New Testaments. So Genesis to... I thought you were about to... <laughs> I thought you were about start to sing the song. song. Yeah. I don't know the song. <laughs> yeah, but. There's a lot of songs. <laughs> We uh, we do the slugs and bugs version. Can you give us house. a taste? You no, don't have to no. do the whole thing, but just uh, I, you know, I feel like it. you really need the harmonica to to really right, do Mike, it justice. Hit us with the harmonica. That's not like a horn again. Sorry. So Genesis to Malachi is the Old Testament, and then Matthew to Revelation would be New Testament. Yeah, so thirty nine twenty seven, um, which is interesting. So the Bible is while it is a unified story, is a collection of of stories collection of of books uh and not all not all you know people have agreed on what mm-hmm. what books should be included as uh these sacred divine books uh so particularly as it relates to you know catholicism the difference there between protestantism catholics say well the, there's also the uh, apocryphal books mm-hmm. and protestants are like no sir we're, we're not including those those ones in in the canon, so why why not? Why don't we why don't we include the the apocryphal books in our in our Bibles? Yeah, so I think first there's two main categories of apocryphal books, which would be those which are um, more of like Old Testament apoc- apocryphal books, and then those that would be uh, New Testament apocryphal. Obviously, neither are in the Old or New Testament, but they fit more in that either writing style or that time period. So. And most uh, of the Old Testament ones were written in sort of the intertestamental period. So between Malachi mm-hmm. and Matthew, that 400-year gap, there's some other books that been, have been written, and those are the ones you're referring to. Yeah, that's where you get like first and second Maccabees, yeah. um, some other wisdom books. Um, now, now, those were not accepted as Scripture by the Jews in the first century. Like, they didn't view them as Scripture. Um, so I feel like that's a that's a pretty good place to start with where like, okay, so the Catholics are throwing this into the canon, but like the Jews who are also receiving the scripture. The Jews like, who included Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, right the away. Jews like Jesus. Yes. The guy who resurrected. Yeah, yeah. take on the word of a resurrected yeah. guy. That's right. <laughs> the apocryphal books are not included. Yeah. yeah, they said those are not scripture. Distinctly different. Yeah. Yeah, and, and some of the reasons for that would be prophecy that was not fulfilled or un, unknown authorship and that i think the authorship piece is what comes into play most with the new testament books is not knowing who who actually wrote this and not being able to to attest to its its truthfulness yeah yeah it doesn't claim to be scripture too which is interesting because there's i forget how many it's like a lot uh, i forget how many if it's of over a thousand or not but claims uh, to be divine inspiration that you find throughout the rest of the scriptures, uh, like over and over again, it's like you know unapologetically, like this is the word of the Lord, mm-hmm. um, and and yet the, the apocryphal books don't claim to be scripture. At least the I know the the Old Testament ones don't, and at least two occasions it explicitly says it's not scripture, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just hilarious. Like there's some of those books that are included that are like they're like the writers are like, hey, FYI, you know, like just don't put this on par with scripture, and they're like, yeah, we're going to anyways. <laughs> 
And you're right. It has historical, geographical, theological errors. Errors. Um, in fact, almost all of the, uh, maybe that's an overstatement, a lot of what we see taught in the Catholic tradition that we would reject, like almsgiving, purgatory, are, are derived from these these books. That's where they get that, that teaching from. And I think the biggest thing is what you mentioned to me is that they were not considered scripture by the Jews, the apostles, mm. or Jesus himself. Mic drop, right? I mean, that yeah, should yeah. be enough. Yeah. And even church history. Like, it was not on any of the early canonical lists. Uh, in fact, it wasn't officially recognized as Scripture, even by the Catholic Church, until the 16th century. And you could understand why uh, they might have felt pressure to, to ensure that you know, the, the divine stamp of approval was put on those books when the Reformation's happening mm-hmm. and a lot of their stuff's being challenged. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, I know this is not just a discussion of, like, canonicity or, like, how you get the biblical canon. Um but this, it does go into that, like, the reason we reject these is also the reason we accept others is because, like, the church, when they received, especially the, if we're talking about the New Testament, like, the churches attested to the validity of the of the letters they received. They're like, no, we know that this is, this is an apostolic book right. because we received it yeah. from an apostle. Right. And so, like, you have that uh, through the church that you're able to trust that. And these other books, again, they're rejected because— like you said, doctrines all messed up. There's like historical inaccuracies all over the place. Um, but then also they're like, yeah, we just know we didn't get this from an apostle. So we know it's not authoritative. Right. And that's important because I think there's this mentality that like, you know, there was, you know, people sat around with, you know, a bunch of books on the table and decided, okay, let's take these ones. These ones are in, these ones are out. But no, they were simply just aff- affirming what was already being received and circulated as scripture. Mm-hmm. They weren't choosing which ones belong, which ones don't. Uh, as much as they were simply affirming what was already received as as scripture, and, and that's this, an important distinction. Yeah, and and this process was already on the mind of the New Testament writers. I mean, you see Paul saying, "You know, this is from me because I'm signing this. Look how big my handwriting is." Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of his books, right? So he's he's already got this on his mind, like making sure the churches know this is from him. This is to be received as scripture, not something else. Yeah, yeah. What, what about though? So we can get into the New Testament stuff. What about all these lost gospels that you know we hear about? Doesn't that undermine our you know our belief in uh, the gospels that we do have and the New Testament canon? Because I mean, it's it hap- it, it comes up right. So like yeah yeah, but uh, you know there, what about this book? You know that actually uh, was maybe su- everyone knew it was around, but the church suppressed it because they didn't want you to find out what it taught or. Or whatever, uh, because it's, there's a good chance that someone might run into that objection as they're interacting with other people, or they're sitting on the couch, you know, pounding Doritos and watching the History Channel, and mm-hmm. and they're like, "What? There's all these other gospels, and and how do I how do I reconcile that my understanding of Scripture?" So, how would you speak to the many lost gospels? So, I uh, first, like, just a, a word of like, uh, I think a good way to recognize it is to read one of the actual gospels and then read one of those false false gospels, and you'll see the difference like it doesn't take a lot to see like it's it's not even close to the same type of writing um it's it's like it's uh it's not well written at times it's stylistically not like the rest of the gospels it's not really a a focus on jesus life and ministry it's collections of sayings it's other random encounters um it's very it's very distinct um and also we know they're written like in the 200s and 300s, so way, or way, way after. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. wild to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're all, 
how does the word pseudepigraphal? Is that how you say it? Yeah, mm, like, that sounds good. great to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Uh, they're forgeries. They're not right. actually written by the people they claim to be written by. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so for example, the Gospel of Mary was written in the third century. And so unless Mary was like 300 plus years old or something, she didn't actually write it. <laughs> Gospel of Philip, fourth century. Gospel of Barnabas, 16th century. And Ooh. the only copies we have are in Italian and Spanish. Which is just <laughs> unlike the four Gospels, which are, you know, can be traced all the way back to the original authors in the first century and already in widespread use before these were ever written. And so to say that the lost Gospels undermine, you know, the foundation of Christianity is like saying that a 21st century document written by me posing as George Washington undermines your confidence in what you actually believe about our first president. Like that's, that's silly. I think it um, makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, they're not just uh, heretical. They're crazy. They are. <laughs> they're cra- it's almost comical. So I, I want to, I pulled a couple little gems that I want to read you because this is just interesting. This is, um, from the Gospel of Thomas. The, this, the not Gospel of Thomas. Yeah, the, yeah. the false. Just to be clear. Yeah, this is not legit. Uh, Simon Peter said to them, let Mary go away from us, for women are not worthy of life. Okay, mm. so this is, and you know, Peter said some wild stuff, so maybe. Okay. <laughs> and you would think, though, this is the moment Jesus is going to step in and correct this brother for this <laughs> statement. But no, he doesn't. He says, lo, I shall lead her so that I may make her a male, that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who makes herself a male will enter the kingdom of heaven. So there you have it, ladies. Uh, Jesus agrees you're not worthy of life, uh, and the only way to get into heaven is to make yourself a male. <laughs> that's that's wild. That's just wild, right? Uh, and and so I think we can rest assured that the Bible, as you have it, uh, and I, by the way, I don't believe any of that. I was trying to, and you can't see me smiling and laughing, yeah. but that's that's obviously uh, ridiculous. Uh, and so we can know that for certain these things are are not true. Um, and all attempts to destroy. Destroy it can be certain that God's word will be, you know, it's going to stand. It has stood the test of time. It will continue to stand the test of time because God is committed to preserving his book uh, for his people. Yeah. All right. So what do we believe about the Bible? Let's talk about some of the characteristics of of Scripture. Um, One of the acronyms that I've heard used, um, I think it was in Kevin DeYoung's book, Taking God's Word, which Mm -hmm. is a good one, um, is SCAN. I don't think it came up with it, but it's, uh, it's an easy way to remember it sufficient you know it's it's clear the clarity of scripture authority of scripture necessity of scripture let's talk about each of those what do we mean we say the bible is sufficient uh i i think it's trying to capture that idea that we saw in second timothy earlier that is profitable for teaching for proof correction for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete i think that that's how that's a good way to think about sufficient it is it is fully able to make the man of god complete equipped for every good work there's nothing that uh, we need to live godly lives that we can't find in scripture and so it is sufficient for for what we need does that mean that we don't need Christian books or any other form of writing or instruction at all? Is it like just the Bible, man? That's all we need. We don't need anything else. Need? It depends on what you mean by need. I would say yes, that the one book that we need is is the Bible. I think other books are helpful and can be really beneficial. And I, I certainly point people to books that help them understand the Bible. Um, but in terms of need, I would say yes. 
Would you disagree? No, I agree. I think it gives us right. Everything that we need to to know God and uh, to, to understand what he's done for us and to walk in according to his revealed will. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we mean by sufficient. Not like it's exhaustive and you need nothing else. Right. Um, but it, it'll answer all, it doesn't it won't even answer all the questions that you have, mm-hmm. uh, but it'll answer all the questions that you should be asking uh, that are most important uh, for, for life and godliness and salvation. It gives all, all the answers to those things. Um, and, and so in that sense, it is, it is sufficient in, in every way. Yeah. And I think it's helpful when, to remember when it doesn't answer a question that that is an answer in itself. Like, it's okay to not know this. Yeah. You can follow me and not know the answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe move on. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that can feel frustrating. I remember we were, um, I was having a conversation with someone recently about some of the various creation views, even within mm-hmm. like um, Christian tradition mm-hmm. that, you know, and there's a lot of options. <laughs> and I think that's frustrating for some people when it comes to like an issue like that. Well, like as far as the timing. So like mm-hmm. there's certain things that Christians agree on, like, there is a creator. He created everything out of nothing, right? So there's, you know, he created man in his image. Like there's specific things that you know, we, we all have to agree on, but the exact timing and like you know, the order of, of things, like, you know, there's there's some some wiggle room there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's okay. You know, there's a, a quote, I can't remember exactly, I forget who it was, but he was saying that the Bible is not a scientific textbook seeking to ever, to answer the ever incre- increasing inquiries of science, mm-hmm. um, but is a theological textbook designed to to help us know God and yeah. and what he's done and essentially how we live before him. And I think it's an important thing to remember because there are questions that you might ask of the text that it doesn't answer. And it's not because of they're necessarily not important at all, but it's just not uh, the most important because everything that's most important, God has, has addressed fully in, in his word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it is always helpful to remember, like, there is a purpose to Scripture, right? And the purpose of Scripture is to glorify God by accomplishing the salvation of, of men and our, our sanctification, right? So it is sufficient, like we said, for those ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even that passage you read, so, like, right before, it's able to make us wise for salvation, mm-hmm. which is, you know, critical. And then even beyond that, like, how to walk as saved people, like, how yeah. to be equipped fully uh, to to walk in, in godliness. What, what about clarity, Scripture is so clear, so easy. Is that what we mean? Like everyone should, I don't know why you're having a hard time with this. Is that what we mean when we say this, speak of the clarity of scripture? So we'd say like first that it can be understood. Like, so like the the first point of that is that like, yeah, you're, you, you are able to know this. Not that everything is necessarily easy to see. There's certainly some things like anybody who's read, you know, more than like a couple chapters of the Bible has got to things and been like, Ooh, yeah, man. <laughs> me included by the way. And I bet yep. these two guys would say the same. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You get places where you're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, but that doesn't mean that the Bible's unclear, especially when you get to like core central things. Like, is the Bible ever unclear about who God is? Is it ever unclear about Jesus, his purpose, his mission, the way of salvation? Is it ever unclear about what we are called to do? Is it ever unclear about, you know, the nature of repentance and justification and sanctification? It's like, really, no. It's so clear. Like, it's clear in all of its purposes, and it can be understood. Um, you know, I've heard people say it's like a it's like a pool where there's 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 cool, easy, shallow water that, like, the youngest child can safely play in. And then there's also these depths hmm. that you, you do have to have some practice swimming to get to the bottom of, but you... You can get there. And that doesn't mean that we'll understand everything ever, perf- everything always perfectly, but it does mean that the Bible can be understood by us. That's a great way to frame it. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. 
or if you don't like the the scan analogy uh, acronym, you can use SPAN. Pers- perspicuity? How do perspicuity? You say that? Yeah, that one. Martin Luther used to say that, which is hard to say and clarity's a lot better. It's more clear. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because it's, it's it's the most ironic term. It's like perspicuity, which means easy to understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about authority? When we say the scripture is authoritative, what are, what are we talking about? Hopefully that's relatively evident, but when, when you say something is the word of God, it should carry authority, meaning that it is uh, to be trusted and uh, held above every other thing. So, you know, any any opinion, anything someone else states as fact is less authoritative. It, it carries less weight than the Bible because because of who the Bible is from. And so that's that's how I would think through authority. Like it is the number one thing that we can trust and go to, and and it is more reliable than anything else. Yeah, this this is one of the like the kind of the crux of the issue for Luther and that whole idea of you know sola scriptura. Mm-hmm. A large a large part of that revolved around the authority of scripture, and the Catholics would say the scripture is authoritative, um, but that it wasn't uh, the only thing that carried that same level of authority. So you also yeah. had church tradition, the civil magistrates, and so you know if they said this, uh, and then it would then it was on par with scripture. And part of his you know big push was no no no. Uh, scripture, scripture alone is our final uh, authority and um, the thing that we look to for for truth. And if something disagrees with that, the other thing is wrong. Right. You know? Even his personal experience, even in that passage um, where the transfiguration, you know, Second Peter is reflecting back on the transfiguration, and and he talks about the the what we have, the prophetic word, this you know, sacred scripture is even more sure than their experience there on the mountain when they saw these things, uh, which is interesting, right? So even mm-hmm. though they experienced something incredible, um, God you know, displaying his glory in a radical way uh, to them in real life, he says we have something even more sure by which we should evaluate even those experiences. And that is the the prophetic word that is written down for us in scripture, which is, I think, saying something. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's like, that's a really good way to look at, at authority in terms of like the truthfulness It's the highest truth claim it's the most reliable truth claim. We also can speak of its authority in terms of uh, like good and evil and over like like demonic spiritual forces, right? So that when Jesus is tempted by Satan, mm. he rebukes him with scripture, mm. right? And that like that scripture has authority. It has and power th- yeah, over everything else. Satan can't do anything yeah. about that, right? You know? And so like, yeah, it is the light that goes into the darkness and it overcomes the darkness. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, our last letter in our acronym, necessity. Yeah, I mean, it's it's again, it's I think that ties closely to sufficiency, but it is uh, it's different because it's saying this is the the thing that we need, right? Um, you know, you can take it from the word of a resurrected man again, like man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God, and so this is what we need as as much as anything else. Um, if we try to live life without God's word, we will be floundering and, and dying apart from him. Yeah, I think about um, Paul, who the same guy wrote Romans 1, speaking about general revelation, which in some sense does display the greatness and glory of God so as to make all man without excuse. 
Um, but then in the, you know, 10 chapters later, he would then also express the necessity of gospel preaching that takes this word that we have contained in scripture and giving it to somebody else. Um, because if that doesn't happen, men can't be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, s- scripture is, is necessary to, because God's word tells us who God is and, and how to be saved and how we are to live. And, and without it, then we're not going to be, you know, wise for salvation. Right. Um, granted, we might be, we know enough that there is a God uh, to make us even more guilty before him for suppressing that truth. But uh, we cannot truly know God unless he condescends and speaks to us. And the good news of Christianity is that God has spoken, mm-hmm. you know, he hasn't left us groping hopelessly in the dark, but he is, he has revealed himself um, through creation. Yes. Through his son. Absolutely. Most supremely, but also through his word. Um, and, and we need that word if we're going to understand him and help other people understand him too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is very true that like you see in all sorts of things in the created world, like that God exists and that we're guilty, but nowhere by, by any study of that, would you see that Jesus Christ came, took on flesh, died on the cross, was resurrected on the third day, ascended into death. Like you're not going to know that anywhere apart from, from scripture, right? From the, the testimony of the apostles. Um, so yeah, it is, it is necessary for salvation. So there you have it, folks. Please remember it. What we believe about the Bible, scan. That's what we believe about the Bible. <laughs> uh, Sufficiency, what is clarity, authority, and necessity. Necessity. That's, okay. that's how you say that. So we, what must, is, we must be getting near uh, the end of yeah. this episode. What is the Bible about? Before we wrap this up, um, we've, we've mentioned that it's a collection of books that tell a unified story. What is the what is the unified story or what's the one kind of apex thing that it is pointing us to? Jesus. Boom. Close Nailed. the podcast. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Sunday school answer. It's all about the glory of, of God as revealed in his son, Jesus Christ, as we experience through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He brought the college, uh, yeah, Sunday school college answer. answer. I like the Jesus one better. <laughs> why is why is the Sunday school answer still the best answer? Right? Because I know it feels like, ah, Jesus, the Bible's about Jesus, but it is. Um, and so why do, why do we think that it is? Micah, you take that one, man. Uh, I would say Jesus is is god right like so so everything exists for god for his good pleasure for his glory um so it would make uh it would only make sense that, that the ultimate story of of the bible is about him and, and specifically like through redemption right that man was created for man, for for god to redeem him for god to show his glory through, through redeeming for himself a people uh, and that's what jesus did and so everything from from the opening of Genesis is pointing towards that coming redeemer. And that as you see types and shadows throughout the old Testament, through Kings and, and prophets, through uh, the sacrificial system, right? Through people's moral behavior and immoral behavior. You see the, the, the capacity for, for righteousness, but also the necessity because of our sin for redemption. And you get, and you're, you're, you're brought face to face with this God, man, Jesus Christ. And you see the transformation that he brings about in, in the lives of the church as they receive the Holy Spirit on accounts of him and then how the church is born and goes forward and proclaims his message. So from beginning to end, it's it's about Jesus and what he has done in redeeming a people for God. So you're suggesting uh, that not just the New Testament is about Jesus, but that all of the scripture is, is about Jesus. Uh, and I think Jesus would agree. Jesus actually uh, rebuking 
the religious leader said, you search the scriptures, and he was primarily referring to the Old Testament canon there, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they, that is those scriptures that bear witness about me. And then even after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, and he appeared to the disciples, you know, he began to explain to them how all of the, the Old Testament culminates in in him. And uh, and we're gonna, we have to do an episode soon on typology, and, mm-hmm. and specifically how the Old Testament uh, points to Jesus is fulfilled in Jesus. Um, and so I think that would be very helpful, but I think we're probably about out of time for this episode. So any final words, gentlemen, on the good book before we wrap this thing up? Read it. Yeah, I would say, I was going to say, read it and, and read it with other people. Amen. Yeah. That's a good word for a good book. All right. That's all for this episode of the postscript. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about anything we've touched on today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find our contact information on our website at www.vertchurch.com. Until next time, let's keep following Jesus together.